Well, good morning, church family. Thanks, Tyler. My name is Matt Combs. If I haven't had the uh, pleasure of meeting you yet, uh, I am your Christ Covenant Fellowship Director of Small Groups. My family and I are privileged to serve as a part of this body, and we praise God for His grace in bringing us here. And we're extremely excited to see how the Lord will use this body to continue to grow His kingdom and how He'll grow us more and more each day into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so it just so happens that we believe one of the primary ways that God does grow us more and more into the likeness of Christ is through the ministry of small groups within the church. And so this morning, we're going to take time, we're going to dive into God's Word, and we're going to shine a light on why we truly believe that small groups are crucial both in our individual growth and our growth as a church. You know, churches use all sorts of names for small groups, uh, life groups, growth groups, home groups, cell groups, and so on. And while there's a plethora of models and strategies that each church uses as a part of their small group ministry, at the end of the day, churches would all agree that small groups exist for the fundamental way to encourage and to engage people to live in biblical community and to help them become more like Jesus in every day of their lives. And that's the goal of our Christian lives, right? As believers, we should want to become more like Jesus every single day. And this is why our, our leadership here at, at CCF believes small groups are so important for us as a body of believers. Small groups are a, a means to, to, to grow, to be more like Jesus. And so here's our philosophy of ministry here at, at the church for, for small groups. It goes like this, Christ's covenant fellowship exists to make disciples who are deeply devoted to the glory of God and one another. One of the primary ways in which we strive to fulfill this vision is through the church's small group ministry. The goal of small groups is to foster an environment where together as covenant members, we are sanctified in the Lord as we commit our lives to living out and growing together in the distinct biblical values of doctrine, discipleship, devotion, and deployment. Now, we're going to spend most of our time this morning on the devotion portion because we want to set the foundation for why we come together in small groups. So in other words, we believe that small groups are vital in our growth as believers and in our obedience to the Great Commission. Doing life together both inside and outside of Sunday morning is how we grow in the Lord and we take the gospel to the world. In small groups, we are committed to doctrine, we're committed to discipleship, we're devoted to each other, and then we're committed to go and be deployed for the sake of, of, of Jesus Christ. Now, why do, we do, why, why do we believe this? Well, we believe that this is what we see modeled in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. In the New Testament church, small group gatherings were, were an everyday rhythm that encompassed every believer's life. We see that their relationships with one another were critical in the pursuit of Jesus and critical in their, in their witness to the unbelieving world. And we believe the same commitment should be lived out today. And in fact, we believe that Scripture makes it clear that it would be impossible to experience true, sustainable Christian growth apart from spiritually significant, intentional relationships with other believers. 
Gathering on Sundays is, is obviously uh, vital for our Christian growth, but also gathering together in small groups, doing life together every day is an integral part of being the church. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we'll be looking at one of the key passages that show us how important it is to be doing life-on-life small group ministry within the church. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And we don't have time to look at every nuance of the passage. This is going to be like a 30,000-foot view of the passage. We don't have time to exhaust every single one of those four Ds that we just talked about. We're going to really key, on, key in on devotion and the, and the reasoning behind why we believe we need small groups. And so Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by the testing, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then here's the portion we'll be spending most of our time on this morning, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning. Thank you for this body of believers here in this church, Lord. We pray, Lord, that this morning the principles that Paul preached about to the, the Romans would come to life for us, Lord, so that we see our desperate need to be involved in devotion to each other. And that, Lord, you use that devotion through the gospel, through the word of God to lead us to a deeper relationship as we do life on life together with other believers, Lord. We know that can be messy. We know that can be hard. But, Lord, we know that's the, one of the primary ways in which you've ordained for us to grow, Lord. So we pray as we read this passage or study this passage that we would be faithful to what you have to teach us. In your name we pray, amen. The beginning of verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. 
And chapter 12 is a key transition in the book of Romans. That's why we see the therefore in verse 1. And if you've ever read the book of Romans, you know that this is a major therefore. The first 11 chapters lay out the entirety of, of the gospel. 11 chapters are probably the most doctrinally significant scripture in the whole Bible. And then we get to chapter 12 and Paul says, therefore, because you used to be under the wrath of God in your sin, because Jesus took your place in appeasing God's wrath, and that by trusting in him, he has given you his righteousness and his grace and his peace. And now you stand not only free from your sin, but victorious over all sin for all eternity because of God's grace. Because of all of that, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, now, brothers. That's a pretty big therefore, isn't it? Paul says, in light of all the truths of the entire gospel of Jesus Christ from eternity past until now, therefore, the rest of verse 1, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's saying, because of what God has done for you in his marvelous mercy and grace in giving you Jesus as a living sacrifice for your sin, in response to the beauty of the gospel, Paul says now we're called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice in worship to our God. And because God has given us the greatest gift that we could ever be given, now the imperatives or the commands that are going to come next in this passage should never be begrudging. It should be an outspring, a, a desire of our hearts to live these things out. Because of the mercy of God, the absolute desire of our hearts should be to present every bit of ourselves in a living sacrifice in our worship of God. And then in verse 2, he takes it even further, right? He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world says do life one way. The word says do life a different way. What does it mean to present your life as a living sacrifice acceptable to God? It means instead of letting the world govern your life, you now let the word of God govern your life. And if you do that, you will be in the will of God and you will be doing what's good and acceptable and perfect. So verses 1 and 2 here in Romans 12 are, are, are critical in our continual Christian growth. If you want to grow in the Lord, this is the starting point. Respond to the gospel. Respond to what has been done for you in Jesus by committing your life to him, ready to do whatever he has called you to do with a joyful heart. Amen? Now, what are we called to do in response? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what the rest of the passage is about. And what amazing grace, right? You get to know what a life that gives glory to God looks like. You want to know what, the, what it looks like to live a transformed life by the power of the gospel? Well, here you go. It's laid out in verses 3 through 16. And if you've read the Bible at all, you know Paul loves lists. And I love it when Paul gives us lists because he lays it out in black and white. Here's what you do to grow in the Lord. You can't argue with a list. And spoiler alert, all the things that we are called to do, better yet all the things that we should desire to do, happen in the context of living out our lives together with the people of God day in and day out as the church. 
AKA, as we respond to the gospel, we see small group life is vitally important to our sanctification and growing in the Lord. And so to finish up our time this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the rest of this passage, and we're going to see how God uses his people to grow his people into him, to be more like Christ. So as we continue, here's the proposition for this morning. I wrestled over this. I had several phone calls to different people just to get, get, get this right so it would make sense. But here we go. We're going to look at seven needs that confirm our need for small groups, for small group fellowship. Seven needs that confirm our need for small group fellowship. Jumping right in. The first need that each one of us has that confirms our need for small group fellowship is that we need the whole body. And we're not going to read all these verses again, but this truth is found here in verses 3 through 8. Paul's saying that we need the whole body. Paul's saying that we've all been given different spiritual gifts to serve one another, which means we need each other to function properly as a body. The fact that we were created to share our lives together is all throughout these verses. The depth and the beauty of what God has designed when in his mercy he connects his family together is an unparalleled thing in the world. And that's the picture that we're getting here. The message of the New Testament is that when you come to faith in Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ. And I think a lot of Christians miss this point today. You hear a lot of people say all the time. I hear it weekly with a lot of the people I interact with in my career. Well, I love Christ, but I don't really need the church. You ever hear that before? Maybe you've said it yourself at, at one time or another. I love Christ, but I don't need the church. I love Christ. I want to walk with Christ, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Well, the only problem with those statements is that they are extremely unbiblical. You can't truly love Christ and not love the church. And we know this because Scripture tells us that the church is the body of Christ, right? If my wife says to me, I love you, but I can't stand your body, that's not a good thing for a wife to say to a husband, right? And listen, I don't want to be too hard on those of you who have maybe said this before or struggling with this, that we don't need the church because I know many people have had bad experiences in the church. I don't want to diminish anyone's hurts. I myself have been harmed by the church. I know there's not any perfect church out there. I know this is not a perfect church. The New Testament church wasn't perfect either. But the reality is that when you look at Acts 2, chapters uh, 2 through 5, or Acts chapters 2 through 5, and the beginning of the New Testament church, it really was an amazing picture. People were being drawn to Christ because Christians were gathering together as the church. The church was attractive. The scandalous gospel message had become attractive. People were seeing the church in action. They were in awe of Christ because they were in awe of what they saw the people doing together. They wanted to know more about Christ because his people. And it's, the, it's that family-like dynamic that made us want, or made them want to hear about Christ. 
A love for Christ and each other was at the center of that group of people. And I'm convinced that this is the way the church is designed to be. That people would see the church, not a building, but a group of people, the people of God, the church, that people would see the church and want to know about Christ because what they see is so beautiful. It looks like a family. And that's why we're talking about small groups this morning. That's why we want to commit to having true biblical community in our church because we want to display the attractiveness of Christ in the city as we do life together as a church family. We desire that many would be added to our number daily because they see the beauty of Jesus lived out together as we gather encouraging each other in all aspects of life because they see how we love each other. And when they see that, we win their ears to tell them about Christ. Look at verse 5. It says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. And there's a profound interconnectedness that happens as we live together as a church. Just like one body has many parts, every one of those parts is important and must function together to make the body as effective as it, it can be. We absolutely need each other to function properly as a body. I'm a big sports guy. Think about it this way. As, as, as you're standing in, in the batter's box and the 100-mile-an-hour fastball is coming right at your head, your whole body needs to respond at the exact same time to work together to protect you. Your eyes, your back, your knees, everything needs to respond together to protect your head and get out of the way. And that's the picture that Paul is giving here, the family of God. We belong to each other. We're united together under the headship of Christ. We need each other or else we can't function properly. In Acts 2, they devoted themselves to fellowship. And they weren't just devoting themselves to social activity. They weren't just devoting themselves to an every once in a while dinner get-together. No, they were devoting themselves to sharing their lives with each other because they knew they needed each other. They knew they belonged together and they knew that what brought them together was Christ. It wasn't just one person that was going to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was the family, a body of believers that was going to take the gospel to the world. A family needs each other. A body of believers needs all its parts to function properly. And so this is the first need that shows us our need for small group fellowship. If we need the whole body, that means we have to be with each other to function as a body, right? And just once a week isn't enough. We need to be together as much as possible or our body won't function properly. The second need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need love. Look at verse 9. And this is where the list just starts to pop at us, one after another. Verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And the word love here is the word agape. I think we all know that that means self-sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that Christ showed as he willingly, willingly went to the cross and died in our place for our sins. And this was a countercultural type of love in, in, in biblical times. 
And it's a countercultural type of love today, isn't it? Our TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, social media culture tells us that we should promote ourselves at all costs and that we should love ourselves above everything else. The only person I truly need to love is me. That's what the world is telling us. That's what our kids are hearing every day. Love yourself above all else, self. But as Christians, we know we're supposed to live the opposite way. We're supposed to think and act in the, in the opposite way. Remember, verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, we need our minds to be renewed in this regard. A transformed Christian mind is one that has a desire to live and be more like Christ, to put others in Christ first, not yourself. So as believers, the desire of our hearts should be to give ourselves up and lay ourselves down daily for our brothers and sisters in Christ, putting others ahead of ourselves at all times. First book of, of, uh, that I ever preached as a pastor was the book of Philippians. The, the theme of Philippians is joy, right? And very simply, we just said, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. You want joy? That's the way you live your life. It's a response. Now look at what the text says next, verse 10. Or the, at the end of verse 10. It says our self-sacrificial agape love is supposed to be a genuine love. In the Greek, genuine is the word anipokritos, and it means without a mask. In essence, Paul's saying true sacrificial love can only happen if you're committed to being as authentic as possible when you interact with your, other, your brothers and sisters in the church. And that's tremendous grace, right? It says we can be real. We don't have to be fake. Real self-sacrificial love happens as we take off our masks and let all of our imperfections show. Does anyone in here have imperfections? Only about five or six of us. We're supposed to let those imperfections show. How else can we grow if we're not going to be real about where we're struggling, right? take off our mask. How do you truly grow? You take off your mask. How do you love? You take off your mask. Real love is genuine. And then that's the type of love that leads to the rest of verse 9. Genuine love will hate evil, would abhor evil, and hold fast to what is good. If we truly love like Christ loved, the natural outflow of that type of love is that we'll hate what's evil and we'll cling with all our might to what is good. That's the picture here in the original language. So we all need to love and we all need to be loved. We all need genuine love that hates evil and clings to what is good. And we cannot do that alone. Taking off our masks and truly loving each other means we have to spend time with each other. And I think it's pretty obvious that we can't do the one another passages of Scripture without one another, right? Since we're called to love one another, we have to spend time with one another. We need to be active in our small groups so that we can truly learn to love each other how we've been called to love each other. The third need that shows us our need for small groups is we need friendship. As believers, we need real, genuine, Christ-centered friendships. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And where in verse 9, love was agape, here in verse 10, we're confronted with a, a Philadelphia love, a brotherly love. 
And this is the type of love that happens within close friendships. This is a generous and affectionate love that seeks to make the other person happy with no expectation of getting anything in return. This is the picture of a strong, bonded, family-like friendship. We're intended to have close friendships. We're intended to have those within the body of Christ. And this friendship is intended to reflect the care that we should give to our family. Because we have Christ in common, we should be able to and we should strive to be friends with all our brothers and sisters in the family of believers. But the reality for for some of us is this, that we think that's way too hard. Part of that's because we've refused to take off our masks. But be friends with everyone? You mean even the people that I don't agree with or, have com- or don't have everything in common with? Well, yes, that's what this is saying. And I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, this really isn't that hard. The reality is that the only reason we think that this is hard that it's hard to love each other with a brotherly love and have friendships with everyone in the church is because the natural bent of our hearts is to think about ourselves and protect ourselves at all costs. And because of this, our tendency, when we look at other people, if they're not like us, then we don't, or they don't have anything to offer us, or they don't agree with us on every point, then we can't really love them, right? I mean, maybe be nice to them, but love them? No. And this is the true pandemic of the world right now, isn't it? This, this attitude, even as Christians, way too often we get stuck in this mind frame. Life today is governed by the idea that I can only really love and be friends with those that agree with me on every point. It's become the regular ideology both outside the church and it's infiltrated the church. Praise God. After being here almost a year, I see a lot of acceptance of different ideas and thoughts in this church. That's a good thing. Well, listen, this passage is saying that the process or that thought process of of not being able to be friends with people, that's not allowed in the church. That process is letting the world influence away, influence us away from what Christ has called us to be. You are to love all your brothers and sisters in Christ with a brotherly affection, with no qualification that you need to get your own way and that someone needs to be exactly like you to deserve your love. Paul says we are to love one another. There's no qualifier there. We are to love all the saints in Christ Jesus with a brotherly affection. And not only that, not only are we to love one another with affection, but we need to go further than that. The rest of the verse says we're to outdo one another in showing honor. Literally, the Greek is saying that we are to prefer one another, to put their preferences and what they like and what they want above what we prefer and like and want. The idea here is that we're to heap honor on those on people, and not show favoritism as we do so. Not only heap honor on those that are like you. No, that's not what it says. Heap honor on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Outdo them in honor. We don't just honor people like us. We don't just honor those that that we can benefit uh, from in some way. We honor all our brothers and sisters in Christ. The desire of our heart should be to show all of our fellow believers 
that they are a valued part of our church community. Every single believer in here is a part of our family. And we need to heap honor on each other and show brotherly affection to all the saints. So the third need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need real friendships. And I think we all know that we can't have real friendships and outdo each other with honor if we're not spending a significant amount of time together. We need each other every day, brothers and sisters. The fourth need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need encouragement. Or you could use the word exhortation here. Look at verses 11 and 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That sounds like encouragement and exhortation, doesn't it? And I love the picture here. This is saying that we should be on fire for the Lord. Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful. Don't be sleepy in your relationship with the Lord, especially when tough times come, and they will come. But instead, be patient in tribulation. Be devoted to prayer. Don't slack off in your Christian walk. Instead, be on fire for your Lord and give your life up for Him. There's a lot captured in these commandments in verses 9 through 11. We are commanded to love one another and care for one another in all aspects of life. And this should be enough to convince us that we need to live our Christian lives together. And that if we live our lives alone, we're actually destined to a very stagnant Christian life. We know that we need each other to encourage us, to exhort us, to challenge us, to live our lives for the Lord day in and day out. This is why Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the, is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. For the day of the Lord is near. I need you, you need me. We all need each other to fuel the spiritual fire inside of us and to encourage us to continually pursue Christ every day of our lives. The hardest part about living life is living it every day. And I know I need constant encouragement, constant exhortation, and I know you do too. We all need each other's constant involvement, encouragement, exhortation to stay focused on the Lord in all things. I mean, it doesn't get any plainer than this, right? This, what's going on here in this passage? We are all tempted every day to be lazy in our walk with the Lord. Some of you are tempted to fall asleep right now. We all struggle every day in allowing the world to seep into our lives and keep us from focusing on the Lord. And so I don't think any, uh, any one of us can argue. We need each other. We need each other's constant encouragement. And the best way that we can do that is to spend as much time together as possible, a.k.a. small groups. And so the fourth way we need, or the fourth need that we have that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need encouragement and exhortation and encouragement to do what's right and stay away from what's wrong, to abhor evil and to cling to what is good and to walk every day with a fire inside of us for the Lord. 
The fifth need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need to contribute. Look at verse 13. Contribute. (laughs) Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Circle that word contribute. It's a word I think we've all heard many times. It's koinonia. It means fellowship. By the way, you know that that was the winning word in the scripts spelling bee one year? Like it was, I could have won the spelling bee. Like I can't spell any other word that was, but I could have, I could have won that one. Koinonia means fellowship. It's the same word we talked about earlier in Acts 2, 42, where it says that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Koinonia or fellowship, which means sharing life together, is used 12 times in the New Testament in the context of giving to help each other materially with food, with clothing, and with shelter. Giving our resources to each other, sharing it and contributing to each other's needs. That's what we're called to do that. This is where we're, we're getting to what real fellowship was all, is all about, sacrificing our stuff. It's more than just eating and drinking together. Real fellowship is coming together in our deepest points of need and helping each other out, sharing our resources together. The picture is that when we share our resources with each other, we show that we're together in this thing called life and that nobody's alone in the family of God. And then Paul says, we're supposed to seek to show hospitality. Literally, the Greek here is pursue hospitality. We're to pursue opportunities to open our home and share what we have with each other and to meet each other's needs. And again, this is very clear. We're to go out of our way to be with and spend time with other believers on a regular basis. We're to help each other out and have each other into our homes, and we're to share our resources with each other. Small group life is vitally important for our spiritual growth, brothers and sisters. The fifth need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need to contribute to one another. The sixth need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need support. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We rejoice with with each other. We weep with each other. We need to celebrate with each other when things are going great and we need to be there for each other when life gets the best of us. Toward the end of 2020, there was a period of about six months where my wife Stephanie and I and our girls went through some really tough things. First, we decided to step away from pastoral ministry after seven years of serving Grace Baptist Church in Brockport, New York as the lead pastor. We desperately loved the people of the church. Our best friends in life are still in that church. But as a solo pastor, I was completely burnt out. Preaching had become begrudging to me. And I knew I needed to step away and try to take care of my family better and let the Lord restore me with a passion for his church and a passion for his word. And I can honestly say that was the hardest decision of my life. And then also, during that time, Stephanie and I both lost our fathers. We lost the grandpas. After being diagnosed with cancer, And given seven years to live, Steph's dad died six months after being diagnosed. 
And then a few months later, my dad died as a result of a, of a hospital's mishandling of pneumonia and COVID. And I know God is sovereign over life and death, but malpractice is a real thing. Needless to say, it was a really tough six months for us. But I'm telling you, the only thing that got us through in that season of life was our trust in God's sovereignty. We just sung about the, the uh, sure and steady anchor of Christ. We sung that song at stepdad's funeral purposefully. The only thing that got us through that season of life was a trust in God's sovereignty and our brothers and sisters being there for us, supporting us, and weeping with us. It was a hard season in life. And to be honest with you, it, we're still in that season of life. We still have struggles. We miss our friends. We miss our dads. And in our struggles, we're longing for real relationships where we can be with the people of God because we know that we need others in our lives to help us walk through our burdens. We want to be there for others as they walk through their burdens. We want to be with the people of God and celebrate with them. We want them to celebrate with us. We want to cry with them. We want them to cry with us. And we all need those types of relationships. That's why small group fellowship is so important to us. It was, it was a lifeblood for us in our church in New York. We know we need it, and we know that each one of you needs it also. The sixth need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we all need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. God created a helper for Adam, right? We don't just need each other on Sundays. We need each other every day. All right, almost done. The seventh need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we need acceptance. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is basically saying that there are no boundaries to determine who we are to relate to and spend time with in the church. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, but we have to be really careful in regard to this one, brothers and sisters. You see, we have a dangerous tendency to allow favoritism in the church. And we're all guilty of this from, from time to time. We have the tendency to rank people in importance to us, what they can offer us, how, how we connect with them. You know, there's like seven or eight Eagles fans here. I connect with those guys, right? Like that's how we tend to look at each other. Like, okay, this is, this is what can meet a need here. This is what, but no, that, this is saying no. It's dangerous to do that. A picture we get here in verse 16 is telling us that in the church community, in our small groups, we need to strive to make sure that even the neediest, the lowliest, and the most awkward people in the church are considered worthy of the same great honor that everyone else is considered. That's the picture of the New Testament church. We live in harmony with, we live at peace with, and we accept all the saints equal in the Lord. So the seventh need that shows us our need for small group fellowship is that we all need acceptance. So Romans 12 tells us that we need the whole body. We need love. We need friendships. We need encouragement. We need to contribute. We need to support and we need acceptance. Are you convinced yet? 
We all need to be involved in life-on-life relationships. And a primary way that we can do that in this church is to be in small groups together. I mean, how else can you do all these things if you're not spending significant time with other people? Sundays is not enough. It's important. It's where we get the fuel. It's where we get equipped. But we need each other throughout the week also. Small groups are a primary way to live out the truths of Scripture and grow in the Lord. We grow by being actively involved in each other's lives. Life transforming fellowship with other believers is a key to spiritual growth. There's no prescription in all of Scripture that allows us to do the Christian life apart from the church. There's no season of life. There's no life circumstance. There's no life event. There's no busy schedule. Christians wear that badge a lot, right? First thing we always say to each other, I'm busy. Are you busy? I'm busy. We're busy. There's nothing that allows us to escape the truth that we need the church, brothers and sisters. If we're going to grow to be more and more like Christ, you and I need the body of Christ. We need, to, we need the people of God in our everyday lives if we're going to grow to be like Jesus and to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Amen? I'll leave you with this quote by a pastor friend of mine. He was teaching us on small groups. He said, it's in small groups that people get close enough to know each other, to care and share, to challenge and support, to confide and confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and weep together, to be accountable to each other, to watch over each other and grow together. Personal growth does not happen in isolation. It is the result of interactive relationships. Small groups are God's gift to the church so that together we can grow to be more like Christ. I hope this morning that the desire of your heart is to be more like Christ. This is an awesome group of people sitting before me. It's been a pleasure getting to know many of you over the last year. And I am convinced that Christ's covenant fellowship can be a powerhouse in the regards in regards to what we've looked at this morning. I'm convinced that we can infiltrate this area with the true gospel of Jesus Christ as we commit together, as we're devoted together in our small groups. I think it's a real thing for our church moving forward. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. It's such grace in our lives to know that we don't have to imagine what we're supposed to do, but that you explicitly tell us what the Christian life looks like, what Christian growth looks like, what being more like Christ looks like. And we recognize that this passage this morning and a plethora of other passages in Scripture tell us that one of the primary, if not the primary way that you help us grow is our interaction, as we, our interaction with other people as we live under the authority of your word, under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that each one's hearts would be stirred to make this a priority in life, to be with the people of God, to not use the excuses that we just talked about, Lord, to say, you know what, I can't do it right now. I'll commit to it later. No, Lord, we know we need to commit to it now. And I pray that each heart is convinced of that. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work as we are devoted to each other, loving each other, and living our lives together daily. Lord, I praise you as we finish out this 
this worship service, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you've been glorified. And I pray, Lord, that you will equip us to go into the world this week to love each other and to show people the, the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, amen.